Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristram Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is growing bold and sexual relationships. And our guest is Northcott's Sexuality and Relationship Education Coordinator, Alicia Melita. In this episode, we'll discover everything you wanted to know about sex, dating, and sexuality. Alicia, welcome to Grow Bold with Disabilities. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So Alicia, you work for disability provider Northcott. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your role there? Yeah, so my role at Northcott is to talk to people with disability about um, relationships, sexuality, and I guess everything in between. Um, so my role is just to provide a bit of education and information to people. So how did you get involved in this sort of line of work? Um, I guess it's it's not something that you necessarily study <laughs> or, or wake up one day and think this is what I want to do. I just, I guess I kind of fell into it. Um, had a, having a lot of conversations with people, it seemed like um, a lot of people were interested to learn more. Um, but we're finding it difficult to, I guess, talk to people about it because it's a taboo topic generally. Um, and as an organisation, we thought it was really important. So we put on a de- dedicated person um, to you know, start uh, talking about it some more and I guess raising a bit of awareness as well. And Alicia, you actually have previously worked as a support worker and have actually cared for a couple of my mates. Um, I'm assuming that work as a support worker influenced um, your involvement in this sort of space as well. Absolutely, because I think that's where it in the initial conversation started. I guess when you're working with people for long periods of time, sometimes you know going on holidays, spending twenty four seven with um, people, um, some of these conversations tend to come up because when people feel comfortable and confident, um, that's where the conversation starts um, to progress. So I think that would really benefited, you know, starting to talk about it some more really. What was your motivation behind coming a support worker in the first place? Um, I guess just to support people to have the same rights as we all do or should do. Um, I just, I kind of fell into support work too actually, Um, but I just saw it as something normal. I'm just supporting someone to do the same things that I would do. I started working with people around my same age when I was um, in my early 20s and I just wanted to do fun things with people the same age as me, which is kind of, I, I thought it was a fun job to do really. I still do. It's quite a fun job. And you spoke about making obviously them feel comfortable. You're working with them quite a lot. So when they were initially broaching those topics around sexuality and all that sort of stuff, um, how did those conversations pan out? Were they anxious, shy? Um, how did it unfold? Yeah, I think at first a lot of the time if someone – is bringing it up, they tend to be quite nervous or, or shy to talk about it. But I guess once you let people know that it's okay, it's it's normal thing to talk about, um, mm-hmm. it's normal thing to to want to to know about. Um, I think people feel a lot uh, felt a lot more com- felt comfortable and confident talking about it once they knew that you were cool with it. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, once they kind of got over that like um, initial asking the question and some people have thought about asking the question for years I've heard people that have worked with that have um, pondered on a question for a number of years before they got the courage to ask it and then once they did um, 
they 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 asked they've said that why didn't I ask that question sooner because it's something that's I guess also very important. Do you find it seems it comes across as more taboo for people with disabilities to talk about sexuality and relationships than it is for able-bodied people? I guess yeah, because there's so much I guess stigma and assumptions around um, people with disability as well. So it's I guess that added layer of that added barrier. We know that it's a taboo topic to talk about um, already, but then when you add that extra layer of um, disability, it's a, an extra an extra barrier. And you spoke about the, the stigma there and the barrier. How, how do we break that down? How do we get people seeing past that and making this sort of a mainstream conversation? Yeah, I guess talking about it more. Like I think it's really important and, and it's great to, to know that you're all interested in, you know, being able to... Um, to broadcast this to a range of people it's 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 pretty cool I think the more we talk about it the more we break down that that stigma and we break down those barriers um and I guess you know just being able to let people know that you can talk about it um is is really important so what what are some of the topics that people sort of discuss with you um 99% 99% of the time it's around the relationship side of things like how can I, um, you know, how can I find a boyfriend or girlfriend, how to, how to go about finding a boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, so a lot of the times it's more of those relationship type questions um, rather than the sex questions. But we tend to do, to get a lot of questions around can you support me to um, see a sex worker for the first time or can you support me, me and my partner, um, are interested to have sex, but we might need a bit of physical assistance. Can you point me in the right direction on who can support us to get ready for the service or how can we in- be independent in having sex together and still achieve that physical intimacy that, you know, that everyone deserves and, and, and craves. So I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in um, how, how do you find a boyfriend or a girlfriend? What's the answer? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a hard one. That's the, the hardest. The sex questions are the easy questions in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're, they're a lot more straightforward. But the boyfriend-girlfriend questions, they're a lot harder and they're, you know, they they take some time to work with person around maybe like relationship coaching or dating coaching. Um, uh, and a lot of that as well is has to do with, I guess, the society's stigma around disability as well because we have working with people that want to meet someone not necessarily another person with disability they just want to meet someone and then they've found that you know barriers to going to um, speed dating nights where um, I've heard horrible stories where people have said that they um, they've rocked up at a speed dating night that they don't accept people with disability because it hasn't worked out before and I think it's all like really harsh stuff that you know it's a it's a wider societal issue really around the, the stigma associated with disability and and that's a hard that's a hard one to to work with because you're working with people in society's um, perceptions around disability I'll, I'll admit that I've used some online dating apps in my time such as tinder and whatnot and it's it's tough it, it's really difficult to to get over that initial barrier and, and to get matching and that sort of thing do many of your um, people that, that see you do they do online dating or all that sort of stuff yeah yeah definitely and that's something um, that a lot of people use as well seems it's an easy platform it's a platform that a lot of young people use as well online dating apps so it's naturally something that people want to use but uh, similar experiences they've found some barriers as well to 
um, connecting with people initially. But once people get to know a person, they tend to, you know, it's a, it's a bit easier to look past the, the barrier. But dating apps like Tinder, they're all based on appearance and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a one, one photo, one or a couple of photos. It's, it's hard. It's brutal sometimes. Absolutely. Now, when you're talking about relationships and, you know, sexuality and so forth with, the, with your client, what about with the families and the carers? Do you, do you speak to them about it as well? Yeah, definitely because I think that a lot of the time um, or for a portion of, of people with disability, um, the support networks around them tend to be the, the gatekeepers of information. So we're finding that sometimes they're the barrier to getting that information across mm-hmm. to people with disability directly. Everyone has the right to um, enjoy sexual relationships. Everyone has a right to enjoy relationships in general. But I guess when you have that um, barrier of a, you know, a person's family or their the support workers and support networks around them, um, that tends to be the, the barrier where they might not pass on that information as well. Um, like if we hold events around Why it. Why is that? Um, I guess maybe a lot of different reasons, but, um, you know, that protection side of mm. things or maybe, oh, that, that, that don't, won't, won't suit them. They're not interested in that. I hear that a lot. Um, mm. And uh, I guess the common thing is, you know, when, when we hold events around uh, sex or sexuality, just because I don't say that I'm interested in sex doesn't mean I'm not. Um, why would I only pass it on to people that have expressed that they enjoy sex or they want sex? Why would I only pass that information on to them when I should be passing it on to everyone because everyone has that right? So I guess mm. it's a hard one. But I guess we're do, trying to do a bit of work as well, trying to work with the gatekeepers and trying to educate them that it's everyone's right to have access to this information um, and education if they if they want it. So has anyone with a, a person with a disability sort of gone to you and asked you to have that conversation with their parents because they're too embarrassed to? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, a lot of the times as well if it's someone that has asked, um, asked us to see perhaps support to see a sex worker or anything like that, um, they might ask for it to be kept from their parents totally fair enough. I'm not mm. here to tell your parents um, your sexual experiences. I'd be mortified if anyone spoke to my parents about my sexual experiences. So I guess sometimes um, I'm not here to talk to anyone's parents. I'm, that's, their, the, that's between you and your sexual partner and that's all it should be. Um, but I guess sometimes it might be the case that the parents might have or, you know, their support networks might have, might hold that barrier because they have the money, maybe they might be managing the money. Um, So we've had to work out some creative ways to get around that Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Maybe them putting their $50 a week aside, um, like stashing that away until they uh, get up enough money so they don't have to ask their money, their parents 
or their support networks for that money Absolutely. Yeah. straight up and say what they want to do if it's, I guess, something like seeing a sex worker, for example. I'm going to open up the big can of worms that is the NDIS. Does the NDIS actually offer any assistance in this space? Um, in terms of education, like we do, we can um, deliver supports under education in this in that space and a lot of people, we're seeing a lot of people now are coming through and um, being able to access sexuality and relationship education under the NDIS, which is great. Um, uh, to see a sex worker, um, not so not so much. Um, the NDIS can fund the supports around that, like the support worker to maybe assist to take um, to to accompany someone to a sex worker, um, but not the actual sex work itself. But there, there is there is some. A lot of people that are accessing education under the NDIS now, which is good. You keep you mentioned sex worker for someone coming in from the outside. Is this and because obviously being a sex worker is a business? Is this a specialised? Is there a, a group that you go to specifically? Um, yeah, oh, you could. You don't have to. Um, there yep. are uh, people, um, sex workers that may have had some additional training in working or maybe some disability awareness training or have worked with people with disability before um, that we might refer on to. Um, if it's someone's maybe first time that they want to see a sex worker or they might be a bit nervous around their disability and seeing a sex worker, um, we can support them in that avenue. But um, if a person just wants to see any sex worker, I know that I guess I, I know a couple of people that have gone through their first time seeing a sex worker that has had a bit of experience in working with people with disability and once um, they've had that experience and they've gone off and found their own sex workers um, just the general way that anyone would find a sex worker um, mm -hmm. on the internet. <laughs> so has the internet changed, changed things a lot with... As you, you, know, you obviously your um, social networks, your Tinders, you're finding your sex workers. Have they made this more accessible for people with disabilities? I guess so, yeah. And I've I've, I've actually seen a lot more forums. I don't know, maybe if I'm uh, immersed in it, but I've seen a lot more um, forums and 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 groups like uh, have that have opened up for people um, to talk about their experiences and who to go to. So I think it's a great way to connect with other people and share experiences and and things and, and online dating is successful some, for some people as well. Um, In terms of that education that we've spoken about, you also organise um, some rather big events in terms of sharing this knowledge and whatnot. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yes. So we hold an event called Feel the Vibe, which is an event um, about sexuality and disability um, I guess around uh, where uh, it's aimed at people with disability and also their support network so they can learn more in the area of uh, sexuality specifically um, so we invite some store different storeholders that um, uh, that are around different topics around sexuality so it might be sex workers that have worked with people with disability before. Um, it could be like the local adult shop just to let people know that, you know, there's um, sex toys that are accessible to a lot of people with disability. And a lot of the time they are mainstreamy kind of products. They're not specific to people with disability. Um, 
but having all those toys available and letting people know that they're not scary or anything to be afraid of um, and a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the um, adult shops that come to the events they're quite open and they're always quite open to having a chat to seeing what we can offer someone so that they can you know use sex toys independently and, and whatnot um, but yeah the, the events are just a, meant to be a bit of an information sharing a chance to look and touch things um sex toys I mean um and (laughs) um I guess learn more in in the space if you wanted to get one message across to people out there who really don't know much about um sex dating and sexuality of people with disabilities what would that message be oh good one I guess that everyone has the same rights um everyone has the same sexuality related rights Everyone has the right to enjoy sexual relationships and everyone has the right to um, relationships in general. Um, I guess we should just be looking at it broadly in terms of a rights-based approach, really. And I guess if we understand that it's everyone's rights, then the rest comes easy. Although those mm. those barriers seem to, well, not all, um, but a lot of barriers seem to move away. So, Alicia, as you know, this podcast is called Grow Bold with Disability. Can you tell us what living a bold life is to you? Oh, I guess mm, living a bold life to me would be about not being afraid to live your life as you as a person. Um, Everyone's different and um, everyone has the right to be able to live the life that they choose, however that may be. Well, Alicia, you've been absolutely wonderful today. Thank you so much for joining us on Grow Bold with Disabilities, brought to you by Ferros Care. And our listeners can find out more about Alicia, dating, sex, and sexuality within the disability world in the links on today's show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, and please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Boldly, and for over 25 years, Ferros has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.